Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're so glad you're listening with us today. Today we're continuing our series called Infinitely More. We are uncovering the ways God has infinitely more for us than we could ever hope, dream, or imagine. Today we're going to look at two of the miracles Jesus performed while he was here on earth. We're going to look at the feeding of the 5,000 and the healing of the blind man and see how even today God is so much bigger than the issues we face. If you're interested in hearing more about the topic of miracles, we did an entire series appropriately titled Miraculous in March and April of 2019, where we not only examined the miracles of Jesus, but we also met people from our own church family who had experienced actual miracles themselves. You can go back and listen to those podcasts or watch the messages on our YouTube channel. Just search for our Miraculous series on the Erie First Assembly channel. Okay, let's get into today's message. Here's Pastor Nicole. I have three little girls. They're 11, 7, and 5. And one of the books that we read at my house often is this called Mama's Day Surprise. Um, It's a Berenstein Bears book. It's a classic, very sophisticated literature uh, that we read at home. And basically the uh, premise of this book is Papa Bear and the Cubs decide that they want to make breakfast in bed for Mama, uh, but Mama Bear knowing that they will have a plan to do this, but they won't have the supplies that they need, because that is very classic. Uh, she goes out, she has the foresight to go out to the store, and she makes sure that there's all the ingredients in the house to make the, her favorite blueberry pancakes. But the entire time in the book that they are preparing breakfast, and she can hear them clanking around in the kitchen, she is dreading the state of the kitchen and the cleanup that it will require. And I've never read anything so accurate. <laughs> and so um, in the end, uh, the, the story, Papa Bear and the Cubs clean the kitchen sparkling, and this is actually truly the Mother's Day gift. Um, more than the blueberry pancakes. And so this is just a shameless plug out there for all of you planning a Mother's Day uh, feast. Clean that kitchen up after you're done (laughs) because that is the true gift. Um, Today I want to talk about miracles that Jesus performed. Um, And if you're a mom here today or your mom listening in today, you might say, uh, just like Mama Bear, a clean kitchen is truly a miracle. Uh, Or maybe just your kids picking up uh, their laundry off the floor and putting it into the basket is a miracle. You know, it's the little things that count for moms. Um, But in this series called Infinitely More, we're walking through the life of Jesus. And today I want to talk about something really significant in the life of Jesus. And that's the miracles that Jesus performed. Now, a miracle, by definition, is this. An unusual manifestation of God's power designed to accomplish a specific purpose. In John 5, 36, we see Jesus explaining why he is performing all of these miracles. It says this. I have a testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. So all of these miracles, all of these incredible signs and wonders, they were all to testify that Jesus was indeed God's Son. These miracles were signs so that the people believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And so when we study miracles, uh, this really should bring back the wonder to our faith. It should conjure up the awe and the joy that our faith, uh, that our faith can take. And the goal is that we would believe that Jesus was and is the Messiah, uh, that Jesus is the coming king, that he is the savior of the world. 
And it's as if with every miracle, he's trying to show us in all sorts of ways just how much he loves us, just how real of a God that he is. If you've ever experienced a miracle, I just want to encourage you today, you need to share it. You need to not stop talking about it. If your house sold after one day of being on the market, or your friend turned from their addiction and is now free of drugs, or, or your uncle was healed of a tumor, or, or you were able to conceive a child after not being able to for a long time, you need to say it out loud all the time. The point of Jesus even doing that miracle for you is to build up your faith and to build up other people's faith. When we share testimonies of the miraculous, it's like we loan our faith to others. Our stories of what God has done in the past become prophecies of what God will do in the future. And these testimonies, they regenerate our faith. The scripture says that we will be victorious by the word of our testimony, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so we need to be speaking this life and these miracles that we are actually being able to experience today. So in the scripture, Jesus is compelled by his love. He's compelled by his compassion for all. He wants people to know who he really is. And so Jesus restores sight to the blind. He restores hearing to the deaf. He restores speech to the mute. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He removes every disease and disability. He calms the storm. He casts out demons. And he even raises the dead. He makes it very clear that everything is possible with God. And there's no wonder the people remarked in Matthew 9:33, this is nothing like we have ever seen. That's their response to what is happening with Jesus. Now, there were 37 miracles recorded in the Bible. And, and this is just so intriguing to me. Jesus did every single one of those miracles, the ones that he did, differently every single time. He didn't go to every wedding and bail them out of a wine crisis. He, he didn't heal every person by saying, pick up your mat and walk. Sometimes he laid hands on them. Sometimes he rubbed his spit in the mud and put it on their face. Uh, once he cast demons into a herd of pigs. And, and, he, and another time he simply tells a, a demon to shush, just be quiet. And just those two words send the enemy running. And what Jesus wanted to communicate to the people and what he wants to remind us is that you can't bottle up a miracle. You can't buy it or sell it, uh, what Jesus is demonstrating. He is not formulaic. He is not predictable. He is not manipulated. He, you can't say the right words or do the right things or pray hard enough to earn it. You cannot manipulate a miracle from Jesus. And if you took inventory of all the ways that we see miracles happening in the Gospels and in our own lives today, this is still just a hint of what God is capable of doing. He is limitless. He may never do the same miracle in the same way twice because he is limitless. He has thousands of other ideas of how to accomplish that same thing. And so one of the most familiar miracles that I want to look at today is the feeding of the 5,000. Now, other than the resurrection of Jesus, this is the only miracle recorded by all four gospel writers. So it clearly was something that was very significant to them. And theologians believe that this is because it's a staggering testimony to the identity of Jesus Christ as God and human flesh. So this miracle had very little debate. It had very little arguments opposing it over history because of the sheer mass of eyewitness participants. <laughs> they couldn't fabricate this. There were 5,000 men there that actually had a little bite of this miracle. So I want to look at the context of this miracle. It's in John chapter 6. 
The total population of Galilee at that time was about 40,000 people. Okay, so the scripture reports there are about 5,000 men that are listening to Jesus teach. And when they counted in that culture, they only counted men. So it's estimated that there was probably 10 to 15,000 people there total, including women and children, which means about half the population of Galilee had traveled by boat or hiked up a mountain uh, to hear Jesus's words. So they're all there. And let's read in John 6, 1 through 9, what happens. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside, sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, if it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? So Jesus actually asked Philip first, probably because he is from Bethsaida, which is only about nine miles from where they are. So Jesus is saying, hey, you know the area. Uh, what's your plan? Like, what are we going to do to feed all these people? And Philip thinks that the answer is resources. Okay, this is important. Philip thinks the answer is resources. He analyzes the situation. He gives Jesus a spreadsheet answer. Okay, he says, okay, four, carry the one. Tw okay, um, we don't have enough. <laughs> and, and he quickly does the math in his head. And he says, listen, it's just not possible. And Philip can only see the problem. Now, Andrew responds a little differently. He actually seeks a solution, but it's a human one. He says, well, uh, I found this boy who has a lunch. It's kind of small, but um, it won't even touch the magnitude of what we need. But I'm trying to be an optimist. I don't have a lot to work with, but here's what we have. Maybe we can do something with this. Philip checks the budget. Uh, Andrew checks the pantry. And they both kind of come up short. And don't forget, these two men were actually at the wedding where Jesus turned water into wine. Isn't that interesting? They watched this already happen just with another element. They watched Jesus say, someone say there wasn't enough, and Jesus multiply it into having enough. Yet, neither of them look to the Lord Jesus in this crisis. They are still trying to figure out what to do with their own resources and with their own plans. And maybe that's where you feel today. There's something so big, there's something so overwhelming that all you can see is the problem. The enemy always wants us to focus on the size of the problem so that we will be intimidated, so that we will be discouraged, so that we will take our eyes off Jesus, so that we won't remember what Jesus has already done for us in years or months ago. And he always wants us to look at the problem. But no matter what issue you walked in with today, no matter what issue you're watching with today, None of it has caught Jesus by surprise. He already knows your need. He already knows it. He sees your broken marriage. He, he's memorized your medical charts. He, he knows the balance of your bank account. He, he knows your battle with anxiety and depression. He knows what you cry about at night before you go to sleep. He sees your struggle with addiction. He is fully aware of your teenager's lifestyle. And he is not intimidated by any of it. God's ordained plan will always be beyond your ability and your resources. 
God's ordained plan will always be beyond your ability and resources. You won't be able to afford it, and you won't be able to accomplish it. And I've said this before, but it's worth saying again, that God can do more in one day than you can accomplish in a hundred lifetimes. And if you get your problem into his hands, he will handle it. If you get your problem into his hands, he will handle it. I love John 6, 6, because it says this, he already had in mind what he was going to do. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus already had in mind. He's asking for some collaboration, a little bit of an opinion, but Jesus already had in mind. The disciples are focusing on the number of people in the great crowd and forgetting about the one who is standing beside them. And they're trying to scrape ingredients together when Jesus, who is the bread of life, already has everything that they need. So let's look at verse 10 and see what happens in this miracle. Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. So (laughs) this like supernatural buffet reveals so much about the power and the authority of Jesus and his heart for you and his heart for me to experience infinitely more. Do you see that? He doesn't say, okay, everybody eat just so that your hunger is like a little bit curbed so you can go home to your houses and have like your actual stuff. He says, listen, no, no, I don't just meet your needs. I give you more than you need. I give you infinitely more than you need. Everyone was fed as much as they wanted. Jesus didn't stop there. He says, I want to give you infinitely more than even what you can ask or imagine. So in John 6, verse 12, it says, when they all had enough to eat, He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. You know, Jesus wants to communicate in this parable. He already knows your need. He already has the answer. And his answer is already more than enough. His answer is already more than enough. Okay, before we look at the next miracle, we have to talk about the little boy in the story for a minute, okay? Uh, the, the kid who had to surrender his lunch. Now, he has no name, all right? We, we never hear about him again. And the truth is, God didn't need his two fish and five biscuits, okay? God could have spoken Chick-fil-A sandwiches and waffle fries into existence if he wanted to. And on a Sunday, even when they're closed. <laughs> he could have done that. But this little boy's sacrificial giving was a catalyst for this mega miracle, Remember, the little boy wasn't even counted in the roll call. He he wasn't even part of the 5,000. They only counted men. He wasn't even on the roster. And also, he didn't need the miracle. He was the one with the lunch. (laughs) He was the only one that was going to make it through the day and not be hungry. Everyone else was starving, but this little boy's mama sent him prepared. You know what? This is a Mother's Day miracle after all, actually, if you ask me. Jesus wants us to see here in this tiny detail is that no one else has to think you're important for God to use you. (laughs) You don't even have to be on the roster. That God chooses to use the ones that aren't even counted to do the most miraculous things. And he wants us to see that if we give him what we have, Even if it feels small, even if it feels insignificant, he will multiply it. 
So give him the faith you have, he'll multiply it. Give him the talents you have, he'll multiply it. Give him the passion you have, the dreams you have, and he will multiply it. It may not feel like a lot to you, but it's not about the size of the gift. It's about the willingness and the heart and the surrender of the giver. You know, if you take miracles out of the scripture, uh, you're left with a very wise, but a very weak Jesus. And, And I fear that this is sometimes the Jesus that many people follow, the one who's kind and the compassionate, but not powerful. We follow his teachings, but we don't experience his miracles. And this doesn't just fall short of the standard he set. It misses the point altogether because he invites us to be part of the miracle and to experience his power. One of the reasons I love the Bible and I believe it so much is because it deals with the hardest issues in life. It doesn't try to sweep the painful things under the rug. It doesn't try to not talk about the complex things or the controversial things. It's all in there in all of its glory and mess and us just trying to figure it out. And in fact, sometimes Jesus went out of his way to create controversy with the Pharisees. And he did that so that more truth about himself would come out. He wanted them, their unbelief to be exposed so that they could come into relationship with him. So I want to look at one more of the 37 miracles in the scripture. I could do this all day because these miracles are so exciting and and faith building. But let's look at one more. Um, I taught on this same miracle about a year ago, uh, interestingly enough, in April uh, or early May. uh, But I just really feel like it's really timely for us again today. And the scripture is so timeless. It's limitless. It's so full of life that even hearing uh, the same thing on a different day can bring different revelation. Isn't that beautiful? And so I want you to hear it with an open just mind and open heart today and what God's speaking to us in this season. So we see this all starting in John 9, verse 1. It says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So what's happening is when the disciples saw that Jesus uh, gave attention to this blind man, they were asking for an explanation of his blindness. Now, this was probably not the most compassionate thing to say at the moment, okay? Like, maybe it was sort of rude. Why, why is this guy blind? Like, give us the, tell us, what, tell us what happened to him. But I love Jesus. He answers the disciples' question, but not in the categories that they're using. Um, he says in John 9, 3 through 4, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So the disciples, they want to know the cause. They're asking questions about the cause. Why do bad things happen to people? There must be a reason this guy was born blind. I have to be able to put it logically in the categories in my mind. What's in his past that has caused him blindness or his parents' past? And they're assuming that it's some kind of generational curse or lack of faith. And and these are complex and difficult issues that we wrestle with even now. And I love how Jesus, he just wisely changes the question. He, He gives them an answer, not regarding the cause, but regarding the purpose. He says, it's not about who sinned or who didn't sin. This pain has been allowed in this man's life so that the works of God may be displayed in him. And sometimes, you know, I think we ask God the wrong questions. We come to God with the wrong questions. But this scripture shows us that even when we come to God with the wrong question, God will answer us. 
And sometimes his answer will be so uh, significant that it will silence our questions. In John 9, uh, verse 6, the account continues, and it says, after saying this, he, meaning Jesus, spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So another question as I'm reading this uh, miracle. So what's up with the mud? <laughs> like, why did Jesus choose the mud? Uh, and we don't know for sure. Perhaps he was reminding us of his, of his Genesis power, how he originally formed men from the dust of the earth. And now if he just spits on dirt and, and, and makes it mud and puts it on their eyes, he'll see again. Like the one who created everything in the first place is the one who can recreate anything at all. Maybe that's what he was trying to show us with the mud. But theologians believe there might be another reason why maybe he used mud. Uh, if you skip down in this passage to verses 13 and 14, you could see that this miracle happened on the Sabbath. And why that's important is because the Pharisees had developed a very strict set of rules against working on the Sabbath. So remember what I said before, the Pharisees were trying to box in the miracle. Miracles can happen any day except the Sabbath, because, because this is the rules. And they were trying to put Jesus in these expectations, in these boxes that, that Jesus came to break. And so, for example, kneading dough for bread was considered work. So taking the, the dough out and the flour and kneading it to make bread was considered work. So you could not make bread on the Sabbath, or you'd be breaking the law. And the word for mud is actually the same word for clay and the same word for dough. And so Jesus had broken the law against kneading dough or mud on the Sabbath by doing this act. So by Jesus spinning into the saliva and uh, kneading it around like this and putting on the, on the man's eyes, he was actually literally breaking the law. So why would Jesus do this? Well, we saw in other miracles, I mean, he could have just touched people and they were healed. He, he could just have sp spoken a word and the, and the man would have been healed. Why would he break the rules for this miracle? Why would he do that? I think it's because Jesus wanted to show the Pharisees that he came to be the Sabbath. That, that he didn't come to follow the rules of the Sabbath. He came to be the Sabbath. He was the Lord of the Sabbath. He was the Lord of every day. He wasn't just six days a week and then he doesn't get to do work or, or move on the, on the seventh. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. In fact, in Matthew 12, 8, it says, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And you know, isn't the point of the Sabbath is rest? The point of, of, of rest is healing. That's why you rest, right? If you're sick in bed, you rest so that you feel better. The point of Sabbath rest is that we are helpless, but God sustains us. God heals us. God creates us. We can't do that on our own, but God can. And so what day could be better for Jesus to find a broken man and heal him, to give him rest from all the struggles of blindness that he experienced? That's what the Sabbath is for. And what Jesus is showing here is, listen, you think you have this all figured out, but I've come to blow your mind. I've come to show you that I am the Lord of the Sabbath and I will show, I will bring rest in this moment. And his miracle was actually intentionally uh, supposed to trigger controversy. It goes on for 41 verses in John 9. And in those moments of controversy, hearts are exposed and hearts are shaped in the tension. 
And, and we see here, out of this miracle, the blind man becomes clearer and clearer about who Jesus is. He becomes stronger and stronger in his courage in defending Jesus against the very dangerous adversaries. And he is now running all over the place saying, I was healed, I was healed. This is, this is what's happening. He's become so clear on who Jesus is. And this is what Jesus is after with this miracle. And this is what Jesus is after with all his miracles is a clear understanding of who he is. Not just physically with the, the blind man's eyes, but spiritually too. Jesus' miracles are just another piece of showing us that he is infinitely more for us. Ephesians 3.20, which is our theme verse for this series, says this, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. We serve a God of miracles. And I believe that as we get to know Jesus, as we get to understand his miracles, we will understand the infinitely more life that he wants us to live. Now let's take some time to process what we learned today with someone that maybe you watched with or you can call someone or message them. And here are a few things I want you to discuss. First, if you were in that first miracle seeing the hungry crowd, what do you think your response would be to the solution for feeding them? Second, what can you give to God this week that he could multiply? And third, do Jesus' miracles increase your faith or tend to make you more skeptical, and why? Let's pray together to close our time. God, I thank you so much um, that you show us a glimpse of who you are through the miracles that you did in the scripture. We want to understand your character. We want to understand your plan for our lives. Would you use what we give and multiply it, even if it feels small? Lord, we don't have a lot sometimes, but it's all yours. <laughs> Would you use it? Give us faith to be part of the miracle that you want to see going forward. We want to see you in your miracles, Jesus. We want to understand more of your character. And we want to believe for what you have for us is infinitely more than we can ask or dream. God, we love you. We thank you so much for just meeting us right where we are. We thank you so much that you are the Lord above all things. God, it's in your strong name I pray. Amen. Happy Mother's Day today. May your day be great and your kitchens be clean. Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. If you like this podcast, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts. You can find all our series videos and podcasts at eriefirst.org, along with all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.